Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by our seminarian, Emily Walker Cornetta, on Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, the second Sunday of Christmas. In the name of the loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Growing up, my mom would tell me every so often of the time I was two years old, and I hid myself inside a kitchen cabinet so effectively that she'd started to worry by the time she found me. When she did, I was contentedly curled up with a giant phone book on my lap, pointing to letters and proudly saying the names of the ones I knew. From then on, she'd say when she told me the story, I knew you were going to have a thing with books. She was right. I did turn out to be a kid and now an adult who loves to read. But having that story repeated to me over the years may have had something to do with that fact. I feel sure it had some kind of impact on my nascent sense of identity. It populated my head with the idea that my relationship with a written word had something to do with who I was from the beginning and maybe with who I would become. In today's gospel lesson, we hear the story of 12-year-old Jesus getting lost really lost, like three days lost, long enough for any parents to lose their minds. When Mary and Joseph finally found him, he was in the temple among the rabbis, listening and asking questions. I love this story for giving us a picture of Jesus learning, absorbing, Jesus in process. We know he was from a poor family of the, from the agrarian village of Nazareth, where scholars believe his opportunities for studying Torah would have been fairly limited. Hence his parents' bafflement at finding their son conversing comfortably with the most learned Torah scholars of his day. Jesus responds to their bewilderment and no doubt their anger by essentially saying, don't you know me? Where else do you suppose I'd be but here in my father's house? Not exactly the words I'd be looking for from my child after searching for him for three days, but there you have it. By calling the temple his father's house, In contrast to his father, Joseph, the father standing right there in front of him, Jesus implies there is a most intimate connection between himself and this place, and that that connection was key to understanding who he was and who he was destined to become. I also love the picture we get of Mary in this passage, a mother marveling at her son. The text says she cherished Jesus's words, just as it's As it tells us, she cherished the words of the shepherds who visited her after Jesus' birth and relayed to her the words of the angels, Behold, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. We encounter Mary here as the keeper of Jesus' early stories, a role known to parents and caregivers in all times and places. Do you think Mary told Jesus these stories as he grew and what she she herself made of them? Did Jesus hear, maybe even hear often about the innkeeper that turned them away, about how he was born on a barn floor? Did she tell him about the strangers who visited him in his infancy? And today's story about finding him at the temple, do you think she repeated it back to Jesus over over the years as she most surely did to herself in an effort to reach for its meaning? or maybe simply to remind him, as parents are prone to do, of the hell he put them through? 
The stories we're told about ourselves in our most formative years are powerful. With unique force, they shape our ideas about who we are, what's good and bad about us, what we're capable of. The same goes for the sometimes more subtle but no less powerful communal stories about where and from whom we come. Jesus would have had a keen sense that he was part of a particular people. He would have known well the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how God called Abraham and promised to make him the ancestor of a multitude of nations and to give the land of Canaan to his offspring. He would have understood his very existence as a fulfillment of that promise. He'd have known his people were once enslaved and then set free and led through the wilderness to a promised land. He'd have known stories about his ancestor, King David, and his, his son, Solomon, who built the first temple. He'd also have known that that temple, so foundational to the worship and identity of his people, was destroyed by an invading empire, that his people were exiled, and since then had had to endure one in imperial occupation after another. Jesus would have known he came from people who persevered under hardship, who continued to call on God for justice and favor amidst harsh oppression, whose ongoing survival, joy, and hope for deliverance were themselves acts of resistance, a testimony to their faith. The stories of his people must have shaped Jesus' understanding of who he himself was and who God was calling him to be. I bet they were also sources of solace and strength for him as he faced his own harrowing trials. As Christians, one of the many reasons we come to church, I think, is to get that same kind of nourishment to receive challenge, wisdom, and encouragement from the stories of those who've walked the road of faith before us. But on my mind this week were also other kinds of stories we inherit, stories that leave us with distorted images of who we are and who we ought to be. There are those stories that shame, that denote inferiority, stories that fuel prejudice and systemic inequalities. There are also those stories, idolatrous kinds of stories, that lull us to sleep and bar us from participating in the life of God. Stories that reassure us that that road that leads to life that Jesus talked about isn't really all that narrow, that we're not required to change our lives, at least not radically, that though it's slow going and yes, riddled with setbacks, the story of history is a story of progress and in the end, everything's gonna be fine. Stories that assure us that we're on the right side of history. Stories that promote individualism, that tell us we're more or less entitled to what we have, and that we have the right to pursue our satisfactions without thought for the well-being of others. Stories that tell me that what's important about me as a person is that I hold the right beliefs or opinions on certain issues, and not so much the question of discipleship or of taking up a cross. These are just some of what came to mind for me this week. I hope in conversation together we'll identify more such stories that are foundational to Amer American identity and to whiteness and its various manifestations. I hope we can name together the stories about who we are that persuade us to settle for the world as it is, rather than to labor and to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Mary, pregnant with Jesus, heralded this kingdom when she proclaimed that God had scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly, when she proclaimed that God filled the hungry with good things and set, sent the rich away empty. 
In her prophecy, we hear rumors of a world in which black lives matter, in which poverty is no more, in which the earth and all its inhabitants are treated as sacred, in which people are related rightly to one another and to God. In the lesson assigned today from Ephesians, Paul writes that we are destined to be adopted as God's children. He tells Christians that by identifying with Jesus, we become part of God's family. And as part of that family, we receive an inheritance, God's spirit, who empowers us to participate in God's very life and in God's work in the world. The question I'm left with is, what do we believe about ourselves that we need to put to death in order to identify more rightly and fully as children of God? What myths of superiority, exceptionalism, individualism, innocence, you name it, do we need to lay down? Even answering this question diligently and honestly is hard work, I think. We get defensive, we deny that we believe any of, thing, any of those things at all. But I think, and I'm learning, that this deliberate putting to death is an essential step on our journey toward collective liberation. In that same passage in Ephesians assigned for today, the one assigned for today, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts will have enough light to see the hope of God's call to us. At the dawn of this new year, may God give each of us enough light to take one step away from who we've been told we must be and one step closer together to the kingdom of heaven. Amen.